too. Last week we looked at we were looking at this whole idea uh, of wisdom. The Corinthians had misunderstood the gospel on two important points. They'd replaced uh, God's wisdom with theirs. They'd taken his wisdom out, put theirs in place, and then they'd replaced uh, his standards with theirs as well. They pulled out his standards, put his in place, and we talked about different areas where we can mishear the gospel. Today we're going to pick up in verse 6. Paul picks up this idea of wisdom and redefines it. I'm going to read just a few verses at a time, and we'll talk about each chunk as we go. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. So we do, however, speak a message of wisdom. We said last week, God's wisdom is Christ crucified. That didn't make sense to these, uh, to these guys from a human perspective. It looks like weakness, it looks like defeat, it looks like humiliation. And so they're distancing themselves from that message in order to grab onto something that looks a little better on the outside and a little better to kind of elite people in their city. And Paul's reminding them, no, it's this Christ crucified. That's this message of wisdom among the mature. In this section, uh, mature, they're, they're, Paul's not making a distinction between mature and immature Christians. The distinction is between people who are Christians and who are not, or between people who have the Spirit and do not. So what, he, what he's criticizing them for is they should be mature, they should be believers, people who have the Spirit, but they're living as if they don't. He's not creating two classes of Christians. That's not in here. That's actually not in the New Testament, this idea that there's first class and second class Christians. He's not doing that at all. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. Those are just human leaders. There's nothing spiritual about that. He's not talking about any type of powers or principalities that you might read about in Colossians or Ephesians. He's talking about human leaders who the Corinthians were emulating. We do not, uh, these rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, no, we speak of God's secret wisdom. That literally means wisdom in mystery. The word mystery in the New Testament almost always refers to some truth that God has kept hidden from everybody, and he reveals it through Jesus. So in Ephesians 3, we read this. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So there the mystery is that a Gentile can follow Jesus without becoming a Jew first. Or a Gentile can be in right relationship with God without becoming a Jew first. That's not, that wasn't what people thought. So what Paul's talking about here when he talks about secret wisdom, again, is this idea of the Messiah who was crucified. That's not what people were expecting. That's not what they were looking for. It was a mystery. It was hidden from everyone until it was revealed in Jesus. So we speak of God's secret wisdom a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory from before time began. Uh, verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen and no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. So what we see here is these human leaders who the Corinthians are emulating, who they that's who they want to be like. Paul is saying they didn't get it. They didn't get it, this secret wisdom, this mystery of Christ crucified. And the Corinthian leaders might say, well, how come they didn't get it? These are the smartest, these are the best, these are the brightest. It doesn't make sense that they don't get it. And Paul says, but it was written that they wouldn't. You can't grab on to God's wisdom from a human vantage point. 
It's not something that you can grasp with your five senses, seeing and hearing. It's not something that you can comprehend just rationally. It's revelation. We talked about that last week. The truth of God has to be revealed to us, and it's the Holy Spirit who reveals this mystery. These leaders, they didn't get it because they did not have the Spirit of God, who alone can reveal this mystery. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What he's saying there, uh, there's a Greek philosophical principle. Light can only be known by light. And so what he's saying is just like nobody knows your memories, your motivations, your thoughts except you, unless you choose to reveal them to someone else, same thing with God. Nobody knows the deep things of God, that's his character, his attributes, his plans and purposes, except the Spirit of God and those to whom God chooses to reveal those things to. Again, what he's trying to get these guys to see is you're trying to climb this mountain and you can't, you can't climb it. God has to reveal, he has to show you these things and he does by his Spirit. It doesn't matter how smart you are, it doesn't matter how wise you are, it doesn't matter how well-educated you are, you're not going to be able to reason your way to this mystery of Christ crucified because it doesn't make sense from a human perspective. God alone has to reveal it to you. Verse 12, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. That gets a little wordy, all this Spirit talk in there. All he's saying there is we've received, if you're a believer, you've received the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is revealing to you the things that God has freely given you. That is, every benefit that comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit helps you understand and grab on and receive those things. Forgiveness of sins, mercy, reconciliation with God, of victory over death, freedom from bondage, every good thing that you can think of that's tied up healing, that's tied up in the death and resurrection of Jesus is communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who knows? For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the man without the Spirit, that's that's someone who's not a Christian, someone who has not made a decision to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't live within them. It says the spiritual man, I think that's in verse 15, the spiritual man is a Christian, someone who has made a decision to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit does live within them. So these are the categories. The categories are not immature, mature, first class, second class, Spirit-filled, non-spirit-filled. The categories are following Jesus. That means you have the Spirit within you. Not following Jesus. That means you don't. Those are the two categories. And then Paul makes this distinction. He says if, you, if someone is not a believer, if the Holy Spirit does not live within them, then they're not going to be able to understand or evaluate the things of God, whether that's in the world or in another person. Someone who is spiritual, this spiritual man, this spiritual woman, this person who said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you, and you will be able to understand and evaluate both spiritual things, things of God, and things that are not of God. All of y'all have been to high school. You've taken sequential classes. At 
Marietta, you took geometry, and then you took algebra 2. So, if you took algebra 2, you understood algebra 2, and you understood geometry. If you were in geometry, you understood geometry, but you didn't understand algebra 2 because you hadn't had it yet. That's what Paul's saying here. Someone who has the Spirit of God understands both, things that come from God and things that don't. They have experience in both worlds. Someone who is not a Christian, who does not have the Spirit of God, they can't understand the things of God, not because you're, they're dumb or none of that, because they don't have experience in that world. Those things can't be ascertained from, strictly, from a strictly human perspective. They have to be revealed by the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have him in your life, it's going to be very difficult to understand God's activity. So then what he says to the Corinthians is, don't let someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit evaluate God's activity in your life, not in an arrogant way, but recognize they're not going to understand necessarily what God is doing in your life. That's what's going on here. And he says, how come? How come they can't understand? Because nobody has known the mind of the Lord. That's the implied answer. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Nobody. We just read that. Nobody knows the mind of the Lord except the Holy Spirit. And because if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you, he has searched the deep things of God, he will reveal the thoughts of Christ to you. That's why you're in a position to evaluate, not because you're better than anybody else, but because the one who lives within you can clue you in, clue me in to what God is doing. So that's kind of what's going on in that passage, the takeaways for us. What are the things? Why does that matter? I thought of two things. One, from those last few verses, verses 14 to 16, which can sound kind of judgmental and better than, arrogant, that type of thing. Most of us are in relationships with people that uh, are not equally yoked with us spiritually, somehow or other. Maybe it's people who aren't yet Christians. Maybe it's people who um, aren't moving in the same direction you are with the Lord. Maybe they're, in, you might say they're, they're, they're behind you. In some ways, you might be kind of in this deeper water and you feel like they're kind of in the kiddie pool or something like that. And so what's our response to people when, we, when we're not eye to eye spiritually? Do we say to them, well, you just don't understand. You just, you're not going to get it. We can be leaders or we can be leavers. You can be a spiritual leader or you can be a spiritual lever. You can leave people behind. You can say to somebody, you know what, you don't get it. You don't understand you're dead in your sins, God doesn't speak to you, you're not spiritual. You can do all that, and you can distance yourself from them. Or what most of us tend to do is we just take the spiritual part of our life and we wall it off from those folks who we say we're not necessarily eye-to-eye with spiritually, folks who are not necessarily yoked with us spiritually. We just cut that part of our life off from them. We leave them out of that, and we leave this out of our relationship with them we lead. Not helpful. Within Christian world, where we grade each other in who's most spiritual and less spiritual, and again, who's in the deep end of the pool and who's in the shallow end, and when we do that, what we can tend to do, those of us who might see ourselves in the deeper end, is we can look down on people who we say are not as mature as us, who aren't as deep as us, who aren't as holy as us. We don't do any of that consciously because we know that's wrong. But it's underneath there. And what we can wind up doing is pulling away from these folks, leaving them to themselves, kind of pulling away and kind of creating these super spiritual little huddles where we've left everybody else who's not quite where we feel like they should be or where we are. 
neither of those things is helpful. That's leaving, not leading. What Jesus is looking for, what God is looking for, is people who, if you're in the deep end of the pool, that's great. Put the fruity drink down, get off the raft, swim back where the rest of us are, and help me. I'm not going to get out there on my own. Y'all have seen kids in a swimming pool, right? They stay, unless their dad throws them in the deep end, which then makes them come see me when they're 15 or 16 or 18 years old. <laughs> unless that happens, most of them start in the shallow end and they have the floaties and you kind of push them out and they grab onto the side and they work their way down. It's scary. That's where those of us in the shallow end need, I need y'all to come back and walk us out. Don't just sit out there and, and wave. Bring us out to you. If you're connected with people who haven't even gotten in the pool yet, go get them. That's what it means to lead. Don't leave them behind. Look for opportunities to engage hearts. I'll say two things for you practically. One is you want to um, lead out of love. People aren't projects. You're not... People aren't spiritual conquests. We're not looking, we're not molders and shapers of people. God does all of that. We love people. That's what we do. And we love you where you are and want to love you as you hopefully move into a closer relationship with Jesus. But our desire is just to love you. We want what's best. That, it, that type of heart, that type of attitude, that resonates with people. People pick up pretty quick if they feel like they're a project, that there's something you're working on that you're just trying to move them from A to B, that you're trying to sell them on something. Even if it's this great thing, Jesus, if you're trying to sell them, people, it's not, nobody's interested in that. So lead out of love. And the second thing I would say is listen to people's hearts. I've met literally zero people whose reasons for staying out of the pool are purely intellectual. Not one have I met. There might be some intellectual reasons, but underneath there's almost always a heart thing there. A bad experience, a fear, a worry, a something. There's a heart thing there. And if you can get at that, in the same way with those of us in the shallow end of the pool, most of us, there's a heart thing that's keeping us from the deep water. And if you'll listen to our hearts and come back and lead us out, it's much more effective and saying, hey, i got another book for you to read. I don't need another book to read. I need you to find out what's going on with me. Figure out how come I'm sitting in the kiddie pool and what it's going to take to help walk me out a step at a time. And don't try to push me in. Don't. Love me enough to walk with me through that. So that's the first thing I would say. Be a leader, don't be a leaver. Second thing, overall, we all need to learn how to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is this link between God and humanity, then we need to figure out how to we need to figure out who he is and how to cultivate a relationship with him. And I think that's difficult for us because honestly, it's hard to grasp the Holy Spirit as a person. God the Father we get, we've all had fathers and so we we've, we've got a box when I say God the Father, you've got a file in your mind and you've got a picture of a dad. Some of it's helpful, some of it's not, but at least it's not difficult for you to connect father to person. God the Son, again, not that difficult. Jesus became a man just like us, easy for us to relate to him. God the Spirit's completely different. 
the pictures of him in the Bible, wind, water, fire, oil, those are all impersonal. It's, for many of us, our default, again, it's not necessarily conscious, but our default way of relating to the Holy Spirit is like the force in Star Wars. He's an impersonal power that we may or may not want anything to do with. Most of us do not recognize that the, the character of Jesus and the character of the Holy Spirit, they're, they're the same. There are places where the Holy Spirit's actually called the Spirit of Jesus in the New Testament. If you've, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I would say, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Holy Spirit as well. So that's the first thing in terms of cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit is recognizing that he is, in fact, a person. Not it, he. Not, if some of you maybe were raised on the King James, Holy Ghost, that can be difficult as well. It's not Casper. Or, seriously, that's a hard thing for us to grasp the Holy Spirit as a person. And again, that's the first step. If you're going to have a relationship with him, you have to recognize that he is a person. Jesse, we show that slide real quick with those scriptures on it? This just off top of my head, he speaks, he acts, he feels. Those are all personal attributes. There's a ton more I didn't have time to pull together. And it might be helpful for you Google, is the Holy Spirit a person? The first thing that pops up is a Jehovah's Witness website. Don't read that. Go to the next one. Because they don't believe he's a person. They believe he's a force. That's not, that's not where we're coming from. And there's, there's tons of good articles that, that give you all the background scripture on the Holy Spirit as a person. He does things that people do. He just doesn't have a body like we have. So he's not... Uh, restricted to one locality. That's why Jesus says, it's better for y'all if I leave. As wonderful as Jesus is, he was bound by a physical body. He could only be in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit's not bound. He can be everywhere, all the time, fully. That's why it's better for us, for Jesus to be gone, because now we have uh, a fuller access, if I can say that, to the Lord. So first thing, recognize he's a person. The second thing, recognize he lives in you. This is not, you're not meeting a stranger. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you already. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says that when we believed, the Holy Spirit was given to us as a deposit, as a seal, guaranteeing our inheritance. So if you've said yes to following Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you, period, dot, the end. I don't care how spiritual you feel. I don't care how many spiritual experiences you have or have not had. I don't care where you stand on spiritual gifts. None... The bottom line is, if you said yes to following Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you. I'm asking you to cultivate a relationship with somebody you already know. And again, for some of you that don't feel very spiritual, I would just about guarantee you have been led by the Spirit before. You might have called it your conscience. You might have called it intuition. You might have called it your gut. I'm going to call it the Holy Spirit who is leading you, who is speaking to you, in those moments. There may be of times in, in corporate worship or in other places where you've been where you've kind of had some physical feelings, tingling sense that that type of stuff or warmth or joy or emotion, that's the Holy Spirit stirring your heart when those are, when those are righteous times. You've experienced Him. Again, you're not, you're not getting to know a stranger. It's somebody you've already met. And then... I would say in terms of ongoing cultivation, you want to ask for more of him. That's 
Ephesians 5.18, continually ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a little Sunday schoolish, but I want you to I want you to stay with me. If you can imagine your heart as a home. Y'all have all heard that. Remember that old book, My Heart, Christ's Home, or something like that. If you can imagine your heart as a home. When you become a Christian, Jesse, can we see that beautiful blueprint? Look at that. It's a work of art. So there's your heart, and it is shaped like that. And then in your heart, you've got all of these rooms And you've got more rooms than that. That was just what I could fit in. For many of us, when we become a Christian, what happens is we open up one room of our house to the Lord. Can we see the next one, Jesse? And it's that spiritual room. And the Holy Spirit comes in there, and that's where we're forgiven of our sins, and we're made new. We begin to have some type of relationship with God, but that's just one area of our life. It may be a big room. It may be a small room but it's just one room. And so when I'm asking you, when I'm saying, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again, I'm not saying keep him in that one room and say keep on filling up the spiritual part of me. Let's see the next one. You need to give him access to other parts of your life intentionally. God, I recognize my, I, you, you're not necessarily active in the way I connect with my spouse or my kids or my parents or my brother or my sister or my in-laws. I'm asking you, fill me with your spirit as I go to Thanksgiving dinner so that I can interact righteously with my family. Let's see the next one. And then you continue to give him more and more of your life. It's intentional. It's daily. Some of you may have come from a tradition that emphasized total surrender. And in your mind, that means you went to the altar at a camp meeting or at a revival meeting or at a a, a youth camp and you totally gave your life to the Lord, which is wonderful, and then you were filled with his spirit. That's great. It's an ongoing issue daily. And in each of those rooms, there's other rooms. Within your family, there's specific relationships. And friends, there's specific relationships. And personal habits, there's things you do and things you think and things you're... All of that stuff. So for us to say, I want to constantly receive more of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. It's kind of like you can't be a little bit pregnant. You are or you aren't. The same thing is true with the Holy Spirit. You either have him or you don't. But there's giving him access, greater and greater greater levels of access to your life. So if it helps for you to think of your life as a house, you've got to open up every door. He'll knock but he won't kick it in. You've got to open that to him and say, listen, I need you in this area of my life. I want you to fill me again, especially related to how I function at work. That might, you get that. That's an ongoing thing for us. And last, I would say, the way you do that, you ask him to fill you, then what do you do is you obey his leadings. Galatians 5.25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There's this idea we're following Him, we're walking behind Him, He's leading us and guiding us. If you want to maintain this relationship with Him, if you want to cultivate that, grow that, you have to obey Him. Remember, He's God. He's not third place God. It's not Father's number one and Jesus is number two and the Holy Spirit's number three. They're all God. And when one talks, they all talk. And so when the Holy Spirit leads you, that's if it helps for you, to think of 
your father giving you the word, then think of it that way. But it's not optional. Again, he's just as much God as Jesus. He's just as much God as the Holy Spirit. He expects us to obey him. And as you do, you'll wind up looking more and more like that. That's the practical way of opening your life up to him. It's not just about asking that's good and we need to ask. We also need to obey. That shows you're serious. Because what he's going to do when you say, Holy Spirit, I want you to fill me again. I need grace in this area of my life. I need you to help me in this area of my life. Or if you like the word anointing, I need you to anoint me in this or that area of my life. What he's going to do 99 times out of 100 is he's going to put a choice in front of you and say, okay. And you're going to have to take a step trusting that he's answered the prayer that you prayed. That's what he's looking for. You get that. So this is how I want us to close. We're going to take a minute and pray. Go and close your eyes, and then we're going to do something else. So on this, two things. One, are you a leader or are you a lever? Be honest. If you're a lever, and you don't want to be anymore, just confess that to the Lord. God, I confess that I've left. And then name the person or the people. Forgive me for that. This flows right into the next thing. Anoint me to be a leader, to be a spiritual leader to that person in genuine, authentic, loving ways. Not to manipulate, not to browbeat, not to sell, not to badger, but to invite, to encourage, to love, to serve, to bless. Second thing, what room have you not opened up? The Holy Spirit is the link between the divine and the human. We have to maintain and cultivate an ever-growing relationship with him. He's the one who knows the character of God, the attributes of God, the plans and purposes of God. If you want to know those things, if I want to know those things, it's only going to come as he reveals them to us. And that happens in the context of relationship. He's not going to mail us a letter with all the information that we need. Is there a room? The answer is yes for all of us. So what is it? Are you willing today to give him access into that place of your heart? If you are, then just say it. Father, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. And then in your heart, name that room. Especially in the area of. I give you access to that part of my life.
do with it whatever you want. And give me the grace to obey your leadings in that area. Amen. All right, we're going to do this. We're doing baptisms today, but actually all of our baptisms are at 11. We have five at 11, so I don't know what that means for y'all. Maybe y'all are the mature. Y'all are the first-class Christians who've all already got all of this down. So we've got a little time, and I want to do two things. And we'll just, I don't know how this is going to go, so we're just going to try. Um, Y'all have met Joshua Yarbrough. He's one of our missionaries. Do we have a picture of them, Kim? Um, He's one of our missionaries. He was here a few uh, weeks ago. He's with a group called E3 Partners. He does community development primarily in Colombia and Tanzania. And I got this email from him on Friday. I'm emailing you today because we have an urgent matter that desperately needs your prayers. Yesterday, three of our national team members in Tanzania led a Muslim woman to Christ. So a national team member is a Tanzanian who's working with E3. Today, Muslims reacted in violence and burned down each of their churches. Paul Bawawa is E3's country strategy director and oversees all of our work in the country. Michael Silla is our national community transformation coordinator and works directly with my team, that's Joshua's team, overseeing all of our community development efforts in Tanzania. Both of their churches were burned down today, along with Ezekiel's church, who's an important E3 staff leader. Four men that were members of Paul's church attempted to stop the Muslims from burning it down. They were beaten very badly. The police came, and instead of arresting the Muslim attackers, they arrested Paul's church members, even though they were severely beaten and clearly tried to stop the attackers from burning down their church. The Muslims have threatened to burn Michael's wife and daughter alive. They've also threatened to kill Paul and Ezekiel's family. We're working very hard to get Paul, Michael, and Ezekiel's family out of the city uh, until it's safe. We're also working to get the four members of Paul's church out of jail. On top of all this, I'm taking a team there on October 1st to work with Paul, Michael, and Ezekiel, and that's only one week away. And I'm bringing my mom on the trip, who's going to freak out when she finds all of this out. So... Uh, he lists a few prayer points. I emailed with him yesterday, and the latest is he says they're still getting, trying to get the families out. Paul, Michael, and Ezekiel. Paul has left. He's in a nearby city where he thinks everybody else can come. The four church members are still in jail, and he doesn't have any idea what happened to the woman who became a Christian. They don't, he, just, he doesn't know what has happened um, with her. So uh, there's some prayer points on that. Other PowerPoint. I know I'm making you jump all around, Jesse. And what I want us to do, Bo's going to kind of sing over us, and I just want us to pray for them. You can pray out loud. You can pray silently. Um, you can come up here and kneel and pray. You can come. If some of y'all want to come up and cluster up in the front, you can pray. Those are the things that uh, Josh asked us to pray about. And, you know, he closed his email with just this situation reminds us that this is not a game. He says... Uh, Paul, Michael, and Ezekiel consider it an honor to suffer for Christ, especially since the fruit of their suffering is one more in the kingdom. So that's the attitude of these guys. And we just want to pray for the Lord to protect them. You can pray those things. If you feel led in a different way, then by all means you can do that. And then I'll come back up in a few minutes and uh, we'll do the next thing. So Bo, why don't you?